Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Porter Gals presents Terrifying Tales. Hi, I'm Debbie. And I'm Allison. And we're the Polter Gals. Spooky. <laughs> Christmas Ghost Story. Written by Nick DiMarantino. Published in 2022 by Northwest Corner Books. Chapter 12. Dark Christmas. Faulty wiring. Okay, who leaned against the light switch? Said Barbara, peering into the darkness to spot the guilty party. Her own two kids being her primary suspects. No one apologized. No one giggled. Gina felt her way along the wall. The light switch toggled back on, back and forth. No lights. The power must be out, said Lou. It should come back on, said Sam authoritatively. Happens all the time during the holidays. All those Christmas lights drain a lot of juice, cause power outage. The snow doesn't help. It's not the Christmas lights, said Aaron in a quiet voice. They sat awkwardly in the darkness, waiting. Gina toggled the light switch again, and the lights didn't snap back on. They could hear the accordion groaning as Grandpa eased his arms out of the straps, with the bellows wheezing as he lowered the instrument to the floor. How about the neighbors, said Uncle Tony. Maybe it's the whole block. Wally, can you see anything out there? Wally jumped up to look, moved too suddenly toward the window. He banged his head onto something. Ouch! He stumbled to the window and drew the curtain aside. The people next door have lights. It's just us. He continued staring out the window. Boy, it sure is snowing hard. All right, maybe it is the Christmas decoration, said Aaron. It obviously overloaded the circuit. Don't anyone move and get hurt, said Gina. I'll go take care of the fuse box, said Aaron, struggling to his feet. Don't be silly, Aaron, objected Gina. Not with your foot like that. A fuse box can't be that complicated. Nonsense, said Aaron, since he was already standing on his one good foot. I'm not taking my crutches. I'll just hop a skip down there, down the stairs. Stay right where you are. I don't want this wonderful evening being spoiled in any way. Aaron, get off of that foot, said Sam, while putting down his cup of coffee and pushing back his chair. Let someone else take care of it. He considered rising, then looked across the table at his brother. Let Tony do it. 
He's right here, in close to the basement. Me? said Uncle Tony. You've got to be kidding. Find the fuse box in the dark? I don't know anything about fuses. What's there to know, said his brother. You don't need an English degree to change a fuse. Don't be so helpless. I wouldn't exactly call myself helpless. You can't change a blown fuse, said Sam. Ah, the value of a liberal arts education. At least I was interested in something besides money. Enough of you two, said Grandpa, rising. I'll take care of it. I grew up here. It won't take me but a minute. Sam tried to push his father back down in the chair. You keep playing the accordion. Dad, I'll do it. You don't know where the fuse box is, said Lou. I can find it blindfolded. Dad, I can figure it out, said Sam. How hard can it be? This is an old house, said Lou. There aren't circuit breakers, you know. Dad, I know how to change a fuse. Believe me. Both of you sit down, said Aaron decisively. I'll take care of it. I'm the host. His tone started the Rossies and ended the discussion, leaving no room for alternatives. An awkward, tense silence in the dark living room. Relax and stay where you are, said Aaron. Nothing to worry about. Gina, where do you keep the candles? In answer, a match was struck. A flame leaped into existence, which moved toward the wick of a candle held in front of Gina's smiling, triumphant face. Let there be light, said Gina. Joel and Wally clapped. Aunt Jo wasn't quite as enthusiastic. She was clearly flustered and quite unhappy. We'll need a lot more light than that, said Aunt Jo gloomily. How upsetting. Electricity is so dangerous. How do you know how many people have died annually from faulty electrical wiring? How many, Aunt Jo? You don't want to know. Well, you don't have to worry, said Gina to her great aunt. Aaron knows all about electricity. Now, don't exaggerate, Gina. It's just one of my hobbies, Aunt Jo, being self-sufficient. I like being able to fix things. Electricity is not one of his specialties, enjoying an opportunity to brag about Aaron. He's actually planning on rewiring the whole house. She did love him so. She wanted her family to see how special he was. Aaron was blushing. Sooner or later, he amended. Hopefully I don't have to rewire the whole house tonight. I'll be back up. He awkwardly pushed it in his dinner chair and hobbled just far enough into the dark kitchen to slide open a drawer. He rummaged blindly through the contents. Be careful on those stairs, called Gina after him. He turned back down towards her. With a blinding beam of light suddenly struck her between the eyes. Don't worry about me, he said. I've got my trusty flashlight. Descent. The wobbling, shivering circle of light guided him down the steep basement staircase. Stair by stair, he made his way, flavoring the foot in the splint, supporting his weight on the other foot and the handrail until he could feel the solid cement floor underneath him. The descent took a little more energy than he had expected. He caught his breath, orienting himself. The basement seemed bigger in the dark. He tried to remember where he had piled boxes and crates. The flashlight beam poked out a path for him through the darkness, wavering and jiggling toward the cantina. The fuse box was just beyond the old-fashioned wash tub, inside the small, poorly designed wine cellar. It was tucked behind the two barrels like an ancient medicine cabinet in a cast iron door. 
The words, American Electric, across the front radiated bold, confident thunderbolts. Halfway there, a sound stopped him in his tracks. At first, he thought it was a creaking stair. He listened. Not pigeons. Someone crying. It was a child in tears. He lifted his head forward, straining his ears, trying to detect where it was coming from. His flashlight beam swept the basement. The sound seemed to originate outside, out in that cold, swirling whiteness. The round, bright circle from his flashlight picked out of his old plastic rain jacket hanging from its nail. He poked his arms through the sleeves. He then shoved aside the bolt, opening the basement door. A white blast slammed into him, surged into the basement, flapping out his rain jacket in crackling confusion. He left the basement door wide open. Like a one-legged man, he hopped a few steps into the deep, crunching white shell that had covered the world. He hobbled awkwardly, trying to keep the exposed stocking of his splinted foot from getting too soaked with the snow. The cries seemed to be coming from the direction of the vegetable garden. He pushed away from the corner of the house, blindly reaching out. But where exactly was the garden in all this white upheaval? Was this what they called the mid, the mild, northwest winter? Suddenly, he realized the sheer deadly potential of getting lost in a blinding turbulence. He could see nothing but snow in every direction. He took a step backward, and then another, backing the way he'd come retreating into his own footprints. He had to tug at the basement door to make sure it would close against the storm. It was suddenly very quiet. The thick wool stocking protecting his splinted foot was soaked. Bracing himself against the wall, balancing on one leg, he peeled the wet sock off his foot, drying his icy wet toes on the other pant leg. The cement floor was freezing cold underfoot, he listened. Nothing. No child out in the snow. Could he have been imagining things? Well, he wasn't imagining Gina's unhappy family sitting upstairs in the dark waiting for him. Without taking off the rain jacket, he headed straight for the fuse box. It would only take a minute. In a sudden quietness of the basement, Aaron unexpectedly heard it again. A weak little sob. Then it all became clear to him. He had been looking in the wrong place. It wasn't outside at all. The sob had come from inside the cantina. Well, that was convenient because that was precisely where Aaron was heading to find the fuse box. Disappearing act. Did Wally blow out the candle or was it a nervous sigh? Sudden, sudden movement? A gust of air? Not again, groaned Aunt Jo. Let me find the matches, said Gina, groping blindly about the coffee table. I thought I'd put them right here. There was something volatile and tense about this suddenly imposed darkness. Apparently, it all went to Wally's head. His sense of humor was definitely teenage level. Hey, who's doing that, he said, deadly serious, squirming uncomfortably in his chair. Oh, someone's touching me. Stop that. Ugh, oh, oh. <laughs> Rachel started giggling nervously. That'll be enough, Wally, said his father, unamused. If you can't make adult conversation, be quiet. I was just trying to be funny, said Wally. Well, you failed, snapped his father. A crash in the dark. What happened? 
I think that was Wally's chair. Wally? Wally? The lights of the chandelier above the dining room table flickered on uncertainly. So did the living room lamps and the Christmas tree lights. Everyone cheered. The return of illumination revealed that one of the dining room chairs lay overturned on the floor. Where's Wally? said Barbara anxiously. She rose. That boy. She knew she was going she was being maternal, but couldn't help it. The old house gave her the creeps. Sam, he was just being silly. Nervous kid. You shouldn't talk to him like that. I'll find him, said Sam. He could read her mind, and he knew she was right. He tried to be a good father, but a son like Wally tested his limits severely. He rose from the table. No, said Barbara. Now is not the time for you to go find Sam. Not until you calm down. You know what trouble he could get into in this old house like this, said Sam. You know what he's like when he's upset. The things he sometimes does aren't very smart, and I want to know where my son is. Leave him alone, Sam. Her tone was respectful, but unwavering. Calm down before you try to deal with your son. How long does it take to change a fuse, said Gina. She left her question unanswered. She glanced anxiously over her shoulder towards the stairs leading down to the basement. Aaron seems to be taking an awfully long time. The lights went out again and everyone groaned, trapped. Gina found the matches. The candle leaped back into life. Their faces lit by candlelight were not so happy. Consensus opinion of Aaron's electrical skills had plunged. No one felt like singing any more Christmas carols, and Grandpa had quietly loaded his accordion back into its case. Outside, the wind was howling in the white storm of snow. A string of Christmas lights was tearing loose from the house across the street. Take a look at your neighbor's house, pointed out Aunt Jo. Nothing's wrong with their lights. Aaron will have ours working any minute, said Gina. Absolutely nothing to fret about, Aunt Jo. She knew better than to go downstairs and offer to help him. Household repairs with Aaron were a masculinity issue. He would be sensitive. Sam had gone to the coat closet and was pulling on his blue ski parka. I'm going outside to check the van. He opened the front door. The snow is really coming down. Don't want to get ourselves snowed in. A sudden howling coldness swept through the house, flapping curtains, chilling everybody touched with the mean and icy steam. Close the door, said Barbara, Gloria, and Aunt Jo, all at the same time. The living room door slammed. A few moments later, they could hear the engine revving stubbornly in the driveway. Grandma and Grandpa were huddled together by the living room window, nervously peering out through the lace curtains at the conditions of the streets, thoroughly saddened at the ruin of their Christmas Eve dinner. Neither Lou nor Gloria trusted their eyesight in the dark. Their reflexes weren't as quick as they used to be. Unusual circumstances, unpredictable conditions frightened them. The snow was coming down harder. The lights abruptly brightened and then blazed white hot and then dimmed and then flickered out half-heartedly. There, now that's better, sighed Gina. At least we're halfway back to normal. Her sentiments were echoed all around the living room. Lights shouldn't act like that, grumbled Aunt Jo. It's some kind of power spike, said Sam. 
They waited, watching the lights, scarcely daring, daring to breathe. And the lights stayed on. Gina blew the candle out in front of her. We'd better save the candles for when we need them. We should probably get going before things get worse, said Grandma uneasily. But we haven't opened presents yet, objected Rachel. These streets are going to be slippery, said Grandpa. And the later it gets, the more ice. Well then, let's open the presents right now, said Barbara. If anything will bring Molly back, it's presents. While we still have some light to see them by. She rose to her feet and headed toward the twinkling branches of the tree. Who's going to help me sort them into piles? You go ahead, said Grandma, but we really do need to get going. You and Grandpa aren't going anywhere, said Gina divisively. This is no weather to be driving in. There's plenty of room right here. You can spend the night. Oh no, we couldn't, said Grandma and Grandpa in unison. Listen, said Gina. It would take me about two minutes to get sheets and blankets on one of the beds upstairs. We wouldn't put you through all that trouble. No trouble at all. I'd be delighted. Now, now, said Grandma. I'm sure that Grandpa can drive us. But Grandpa wasn't as sure as she was. He was looking out the window, shaking his head. He put his arms around his wife. Gina's right. We better make ourselves comfortable. We're here for a while. The door blew open to admit Sam's somehow snow-white and blue ski parka, along with a few swirling, insistent snowflakes. The door promptly whooshed shut. Doesn't look like we'll be going anywhere, said Sam. His cheeks were flushed bright pink with the cold. That snow was coming down real hard. Can't see a thing out there. He turned to Barbara. Honey, I can't seem to find my cell phone. It should be right where it always is, said Barbara. I can recharge it just to be extra safe, she gasped. Oh, Sam, I must have just left it in the kitchen recharging. Oh, no, said Rachel. Looks like someone will have to survive without a cell. Don't be a smart mouth, young lady, said Barbara. It's just an observation, said Rachel. Well, I'm happy to have you all stay, said Gina. Every one of you, there's plenty of room. It will be like a big family slumber party on Christmas Eve. It sounds unwise, unpractical, and uncomfortable, said Aunt Jo. As far as I'm concerned, it's out of the question. Oh, now, Aunt Jo, said Rachel, be a good sport. I think we're all going to have lots of fun here, pretending like we're not trapped. The lights flickered, wavered, but managed to stay on. The winking of the light reminded Gina painfully of who was missing. Make yourselves at home, she said. She could no longer restrain her mounting anxiety. If you'll excuse me, I've got to go find out what's keeping Aaron so long. If he's gotten involved in one of his home repairs, we may never see him again. She smiled tightly, pretending that she was lighthearted. I'll be right back. With the last glance of concern toward her family, she strode down the hall towards the basement door. Gone. Aaron! No answer. Aaron, you're being rude. Whatever it is, it can wait. His silence only increased her uneasiness. No sign of him in the weakly lit basement. The cantina door was open. She descended the rest of the way down the stairs, crossed the basement, and mounted the three stairs of the cantina. The light wasn't on inside. Aaron? She became tense with a sudden illogical dread. She forced herself to crouch down and enter. She pulled the light cord, ready to rush to his aid. However, 
the cantina was empty. Just a burial vault full of mousetraps, baited and waiting. Aaron! The word echoed loudly, hollowly in the cramped little room. There were the wine barrels and the fuse box and the empty planks of shelving. But no Aaron. She turned around in the cantina doorway, heart pounding in confusion, and made her way across the basement through a maze of boxes and crates. The door leading out to the vegetable garden was closed, but it was no longer bolted. Something was missing. The nail by the door was bare. Aaron's old rain jacket was gone. Impulsively, she turned the latch, seized the doorknob, and tugged the old door open. A shrieking gale of coldness at once engulfed her, howling, stinging. Aaron, she shouted, Snowflake sliced at her, rushing at her face, driving her back into the basement, like no snow she had ever known before. The wind shoved the word right back down her throat. She slammed the door. It had been long enough for her to see the footprints starting out of the blanket of snow. Footprints that disappeared at the corner of the house. With just an old rain jacket, with his foot in the splint, hobbling without his crutches, Aaron had left the house through the basement door a word to anyone. But why? Could he really be upset with her family? Surely he wasn't abandoning her. If not, then where could he have gone? He had to be there somewhere. People didn't just vanish in the snow. Gina walked slowly back and forth across the dark basement, hugging herself to keep from shaking, fighting off shuddering attacks of disbelief. What should she do? Could she do? Who could help her? She became so frightened, facing the impossible fact of Aaron's disappearance, that she decided one thing was for sure. Under no circumstances would she terrify the others. They did not know about the vanishing of their host. It was better not to know. Remedy. Aunt Jo didn't miss a thing. Her sharp old eyes were watching Gina the moment she stepped back in the living room. Did you find your wandering boyfriend? Gina smiled grimly. It was a smile of sheer willpower, an impenetrable wall built against the intrusive curiosity of her great aunt. Looks like he's gone down to the 7-Eleven. He did what? In this weather? Before it gets any worse, it's just a block down the street. On Christmas Eve? They never close. He must have just needed to buy fuses. The ones we got seemed to be going bad. That must be the problem, she hoped. Aunt Joe didn't buy it for a minute. Gina, I may be an old woman, but I'm not stupid. Are you trying to tell me your boyfriend just walked to the store in the snowstorm? With his foot in a splint? Without his crutches? She had to admit it didn't sound very likely. She didn't even attempt to defend her theory. You don't have to worry about Aaron, Aunt Joe. He's a big boy. Big boys are the worst. Excuse me, said Rachel to her sister, interrupting. Do you have a hairbrush I can borrow? Sure, sis, said Gina. There's one in the bathroom. Grateful for the interruption, Gina took her sister's hand and led her out of the dining room, through the living room, and down the hall. Are you okay? whispered Rachel urgently, watching her sister's troubled face. That old bag doesn't know when to quit. I'm okay, said Gina. Thanks. Rachel wasn't convinced. Gina, what is it? Tell me. Gina's voice cracked. I can't talk about it right now. She left Rachel in the bathroom. She heard her sister lock the door behind her, hurrying the rest of the way down the hall. 
Gina crossed the master bedroom to the window. He had to be somewhere nearby. Below, through the frosty glass, she could see Aaron's footprints starting out from the basement door. They came to an abrupt halt in the middle of the uninterrupted whiteness, without explanation, without a cue. Where had he gone? Could he be hurt? With a whimper of frustration, Gina returned to the others gathered in the living room. She tried not to think about him. He could take care of himself. He'd have some perfectly logical reason for this strange behavior. She immersed herself in comforting her flustered parents and irritated aunt. Believe me, we'll all look back on this and laugh, said Gina confidently. Come on, let me show you those rooms upstairs. Her parents were willing, attempting to gracefully adapt to an awkward situation. Her great aunt refused to budge. Absolutely not, said Aunt Jo. I'm not spending the night here. And that's final. I will call a cab, as I always do. I know the number by heart. It's their job to drive, regardless of the weather. And I'm sure a professional taxi driver can handle snow. She picked up the phone and punched the number. She waited impatiently, tapping her foot. The expression of resolution on her face slowly underwent a change. There's something wrong with the phone. Nonsense, said Gina, taking the receiver away from her. I'm sure it's fine. It wasn't fine. Gina pushed the disconnect several times, and there was no dial tone. It must be the snow. They'll be working again in no time. You'll be foolish to try and leave, Aunt Jo. It's much safer just to stay right here. I'm never foolish, said Aunt Jo. This old house of my sister's does not strike me as particularly safe. The fear of interrupting her habits or not returning to the predictable routines of her own home, of spending the night in an unfamiliar bed, made Aunt Jo even grouchier than usual. Now it's not that bad, said Gloria optimistically, trying to bolster everyone's spirits. I'm sure we'll be perfectly comfy. No, you won't, objected Aunt Jo. You'll all be uncomfortable and unhappy. This is the worst Christmas of my entire life. Aunt Joe, I'm so sorry, said Gina, genuinely horrified to be responsible for such unpleasantness. Her glance wandered desperately about the living room and through the archway into the dining room. It lingered there on the polished wood of the old liquor cabinet. I may have a remedy for you. They don't write the prescription, grumbled Aunt Joe, as Gina strode past her around the dining table and opened the cabinet door. When Aunt Jo noticed that Gina was pouring something, she became way more attentive. It's time for an after-dinner drink, said Gina. She handed Aunt Jo a glass goblet of red wine, and she continued pouring and passing it around, sloshing goblets to others. I want you all to drink a toast to Christmas cheer with me. We can use some cheer, don't you think? A general grumble. May we love one another, be tolerant of one another, and remember that we are a family. She raised her wine glass. To being a family. A family echoed everyone else, followed the words with an appropriate activity. Gina tipped her head back to drink. The goblet froze at her lips. What was she thinking? Alcohol for a pregnant woman? She returned her wine to the table untouched. She looked up and found all eyes of her family watching her. Everyone had silently noticed her not drinking. And everyone knew why. Everyone, except Aunt Jo, who was too busy coughing after downing, ha downing half the contents of her goblet. My, that's strong. More coughing. Gloria slapped her helpfully on the back. I'm not used to it. Never got into the habit. But under the circumstances... She took another cautious swallow. And another. 
It does warm up these old bones. Thank you, my dear. This is exactly what needed. Much better. Well, whoever would have thought that I'd be spending the night in my sister's house. Orsola never invited me over when she was alive, so she's making up for lost time. Aunt Jo chuckled, looking into her empty goblet, as though it were exceptionally interesting. I don't suppose I could just have a drop more. <laughs> Family secrets. It wasn't easy being Orsola's sister, continued Aunt Jo an hour later. Let me tell you, Orsola didn't share the stage, not with anyone. She sipped at her refill. This really does help the nerves. I never touch it usually, but Orsola did. She liked her little sip now and then. That girl, she could be a wild one. Uncle Tony laughed. Come on, Aunt Joe. I'd hardly call Nana wild. Her idea of wild would be going out to look for wild dandelions to make into a salad. Aunt Joe snorted. It's time you all stopped talking about your sweet Nana like she's some kind of saint. Well, she practically was, began Tony. His brother cut him off. Hardly, said Sam. I agree with Aunt Joe. Nana was no saint, not the way I remember her. Now, what is that supposed to mean, said Gina, trying not to let her father upset her, to preserve her nervous smile. I'll tell you about your dear Nana, said Sam impulsively. She made my childhood miserable. What are you talking about, interrupted Lou, shocked to hear his own son refer to his mother so disrespectfully. I was never good enough for Nana, said Sam. You know that as well as I do, Dad. No matter how great my grades were, no matter how many times I lettered in sports, no matter how many honors I got, I wasn't as good as Tony. Tony had done it all first and done it better. Tony was her favorite. Tony could do no wrong. As for little Sammy, well, he was cute, but he hardly mattered. All that mattered was Tony. Oh, why, that's ridiculous, exclaimed Uncle Tony, a little louder than he intended. Nana loved you just as much as... Hogwash, said Sam. Nothing I did mattered. Everything you touched was gold. I was just not good enough for Nana. Orsola had her dark side, agreed Aunt Jo, extending her empty glass toward the nearly depleted bottle. She could be a devil, selfish, unfair, and then she and Niccolo got together. She liked the boys, I can tell you. She laughed in a very you-knowing manner. Aunt Joe, do you really think this is appropriate? Lou tried to interrupt her. She was enjoying herself too much to stop. Orsolus used to go with Niccolo back in the old garage, said Aunt Joe. I watched her once. I hid in the garage before they got there. You should have seen them. I didn't know people could do with their tongues what they did when they kissed. Lou was not amused. Aunt Joe, you've had enough. She had a crazy streak, Orsola did. She could be stubborn as hell. She could get favors out of anyone. And let me tell you, if my sister wanted something, the Pope himself could not stop her. She could have seen her work those neighborhood boys into a sweat. Aunt Joe, listen to yourself. You're exaggerating. Am I? She had a guilty conscience. If you ask me, got her way once too often. I wouldn't be surprised if my dear sister took a few secrets to the grave. It's no wonder she did what she did. I would have ended it too. At first, Aunt Jo didn't seem to notice the effect of her words, the frozen expressions, the abrupt silence. Ended it, repeated Gina, breaking the shocked stillness with a dull, tardy echo. Aunt Jo turned in surprise toward Lou, 
Your grandpa never told you? You gotta be kidding me. Now loot, that's ridiculous. It's nothing to hide. It's a part of life. A part I'd like to forget, said Lou. A part I'd see no reason to rub in people's faces, especially those I love. Oh, oh, what, do you, what do you mean ended it? Repeated Gina. I thought you knew, said Aunt Jo. Lou, you ought to be ashamed. Keeping secrets from your family? Well, are you going to tell them or shall I? It's a part of the past, Aunt Jo objected Lou. Leave it in the past. You don't think your granddaughter deserves to know what happened in her own house? What is it, Grandpa? said Gina. Something happened here that I don't know? Lou sighed. Something you'd be happier not knowing. Tell me, said Gina. Looks like I have to, since your Aunt Jo can't leave it alone. He took a breath. The only way to, to explain it is to admit I lied to you. Another long, slow breath. I never put Nana in a nursing home. Oh, what? said Gloria. His own wife looked at him in sheer confusion. Of course you did, Lou. Are you out of your mind? Nana died the day after getting there, didn't she? No, said Lou sadly. That's just what I told you. The only lie in all the years we've been married. And I didn't want you to know. Any of you. I don't want you to think of her that way. It was bad enough her sister found out. But why, said Gloria. Lou, why? The question seemed to catch in her throat. Her husband had lied to her. It was unthinkable. Why should you have to know something like that, said Lou? You should remember Nana the way she was. Not... His voice trailed off. He hardened it and continued. She was a poor, unhappy old woman. And when the day came for her to leave her house, she was desperate terrified out of her mind she didn't want to go on living she nana died here said gina the words barely made it out of her mouth yes said lou she refused to leave she chose to die here instead he turned to regard his aunt with quiet contempt are you satisfied aunt joe now are you happy deadline Secrets Aunt Jo drained what was left of her wine and set the empty goblet down on the clumsy rattle. You should know better than that, Lou, trying to keep secrets from your own flesh and blood. She shifted uncomfortably. Secrets are the worst thing that can happen to a family. She shifted again. I'm afraid all this wine is catching up with me. She looked toward the hallway. Is Rachel still in the bathroom? Of course, said Sam. It's been less than an hour. She's just getting started. He cupped his hands around his mouth. Rachel, he yelled. Can you tie up, tidy up the bathroom? You can't tie up the bathroom all night. I'm hurrying, shouted Rachel from inside the bathroom. Her words were not encouraging. There's a bathroom upstairs, suggested Lou, remembering his childhood, remembering how many times he had raced up there to use it. If you don't mind the stairs... I can still manage the stairs just fine. Thank you, snapped his aunt. I'm not that old yet, Lou. Just tell me where I can find this bathroom and make it quick. Turn to your left at the top of the stairs, then go all the way to the end of the hall. She was already on her way out of the living room, scuttling in a responsibly straight line towards the staircase door, which she flung open. Where's the light, she complained. Right next to the door, you can feel it on the wall. She clearly found it. 
for her heavy footfalls began shaking the house. She trudged stair by stair up to the second floor, blowing her full weight onto every stair. After a worrisome pause while she caught her breath, her footsteps thudded down the hall, a distant door, presumably leading into the upstairs bathroom, slammed. Relieved, the family began to talk to each other about other subjects to resume faltering conversations. Maintaining an equilibrium of sanity was the most important thing. They reached out to each other, a friendly word, a helping hand. The thing was not to be afraid. A scream cut through the house. Sam and Gina were the first ones up the stairs. They heard her body falling over before they got to the bathroom. Sam shoved open the door. Aunt Jo lay crumpled on the floor, half curled around the toilet. Her face was a rigid mask of fear. Sam dropped to her side, taking her wrist to feel her pulse. Call the doctor, he yelled over his shoulder to his daughter. Gina immediately rushed to the telephone down the hall. She anxiously punched in 911. Nothing. She slammed down the receiver in frustration. She stood trembling over the telephone, gripping it as though she dared not let it go. The solid foundations of her world were crumbling. Aaron had descended into the basement and vanished. She had discovered that Nana died in the house, and now Aunt Jo had been terrified out of her senses? By what? The line is dead, she called up to her father. Sam swore under his breath. Maybe your neighbor's phone is working, he said. I'll go next door and see if they'll let me make a call. He didn't wait for a reply. Sam Rossi went down the stairs, two at a time, and was shoving his arms into his blue ski parka as he strode to the door. Sam, be careful, called Barbara anxiously. The door slammed behind him. Be sure to follow us on Facebook or on YouTube at The Porter Gals or on Instagram at The underscore Porter Gals. You can also find us wherever you get your podcast or at RogueMediaNetwork.com. You've been listening to The Porter Gals, a Rogue Media Network podcast. This has been a Rogue Media Podcast.